and they need some really big rings. They need some really nice Coming at you from the Weed Desert no Studio strings. in Houston, Better Texas. No You're listening we to The really Weekly nice Brew things. with Austin we Statton, really Kevin rings. Cook, and Jeremy really Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 28 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. It's Super Bowl week, and we have an amazing lineup of guests on deck. As always, my name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined by Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. Kevin, I heard you made dreams come true this weekend and made another appearance on yet another Houston-based podcast. Tell us about it. I think it's two separate events, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think I made anyone's dreams come true by appearing on another podcast, but uh, Andrew Cooley, who has been here on this podcast, I believe, as a guest before talking baseball, went with me and sat courtside at the uh, Rockets game and watched them lose in pitiful fashion to the Wizards. So I actually saw John Wall out at the uh, Cypress Ranch, Cypress Lakes game two nights ago. So I spent two evenings with John Wall. Um, he would not know my name or face or remember me, but uh, I will I will characterize it as such. And, uh, and then also did an Appearance on the Scott and Holman podcast, which is a U of H specific podcast. They do great work over there. I highly recommend you guys subscribe to them. And we had a good chat about the state of the basketball and football programs and where U of H is headed in the future. So uh, download that if you get a chance and listen to it on iTunes. And, uh, uh, you know, good week all around. Perfect. Now, Jeremy, it's my understanding that you experienced quite the revelation this week. Your girlfriend is a Donald Trump supporter. Is that correct? Oh, God. Yeah. She sent me the uh, I side with. Uh, thing with her test results and it turns out she does side with Donald Trump something like 89% of the time with uh, runner-up Marco Rubio and then Ben Carson so yeah it's it's kind of weird I uh <clears throat> not having second thoughts but certainly uh, taking a moment uh, to pause and uh think about what this means for our relationship <laughs> as for me I actually stopped by Carbock Brewery uh they have a nice beer garden outside and I don't know if you guys had the chance to make it outside a lot this weekend, but it was perfect weather here in Houston. I believe 75 degrees in January. So, uh, Carbock, we're going to be reaching out to you soon about a potential sponsorship deal, maybe even doing a live remote there. Uh, but if you're listening to this on Monday in Houston, be sure to stop by We Desserts for their two-year anniversary celebration. All items in the bakery are discounted to just $2. They're located at 3411 Kirby. Be sure to tell Penny and Jen that the guys at the Weekly Brew sent you. I know my parents actually stopped by on Saturday night and enjoyed the delicious treats that they have. And uh, also, we had more reviews again on iTunes this week. Kevin will get into that at the end of the show. But we want to remind our listeners that they can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And we encourage you to leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell us what you like, what you don't like. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search Weekly Brewcast. Also, check us out online at weeklybrewcast.com. And without further ado, we have interviews with ABC's Lawrence Gilligan from North Carolina and the Denver Post Troy Rank to discuss the Super Bowl. And we have ESPN College basketball analyst and former member of Phi Slamma Jamma and the Chicago Bulls, Reed Geddes, on to discuss the topsy-turvy NCAA basketball season. As always, it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. If you're listening to the podcast right now and expecting us to talk about the Pro Bowl, you are going to be disappointed. However, we are going to talk about the Super Bowl as it is the 50th playing of the game in San Francisco this week as the Denver Broncos are set to square off against the Carolina Panthers. And just to recap, Broncos heavy underdogs against the Patriots as they played in the AFC Championship game, but Peyton Manning was able to pull the Broncos along a strong defensive effort to a 20-18 win against the Patriots. And Cam Newton and the Panthers absolutely dominated the Cardinals last week, 49-15. So they will be meeting up in Super Bowl 
Bowl 50. Betting lines have come out for the game, and the Panthers have quickly opened as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. However, it seems that most of the betting money is actually going toward the Panthers, which has pushed the betting line anywhere between five-and-a-half to six-and-a-half, depending on which sports book you look at. Guys, there are so many different storylines around this game. You've got Cam Newton uh, having an MVP caliber season, Peyton Manning possibly with his last game. You have two dominating defenses. Is this going to be a great matchup, or does it heavily favor the Panthers? Well, I mean, if I were going to put money on it, and I'm not because I quit gambling uh, a while back, uh, some years ago now, I would still put money on the Panthers. I mean, I think that line is still too low, and maybe I'm dumb, maybe I am underestimating the Broncos' defense, but uh, I just feel like, yeah, what on earth is going for the Broncos in this? And we'll hear from Troy Rink later about what might be going for the Broncos. But no, it's all Panthers for me. I love Cam Newton. I love the season this team has had. I love the offense. I think they're the team of destiny this year, and I see them winning handily. I think it's just amazing how much they've improved from the last two years. I mean, remarkable that they're 17-1. They've absolutely been dominating teams. They had that slip up late in the season against the Falcons, but, you know, I think it might have been just what that team needed to get them to the next level. Uh, But they just have a quiet confidence about them, or actually anything but quiet. Uh, They are quite the confident team. Uh, Jeremy, what are some of your expectations or... Uh, thoughts about this game as we head into Super Bowl week. Kind of, I'm rooting for the Panthers. Um, I really like uh, kind of the Cam Newton story, you know, because I mean, there was a time in the NFL when it wasn't looking like that he was going to go very far, and he's managed to come back and now lead um, a Super Bowl competing team into the big game. Um, I- I'm-, I'm really kind of inspired by that, and I hope um, uh, there are a few other quarterbacks in the league I'd like to see make a Cam Newton turnaround. Um, I-, I am interested to see how. Um, Manning is going to respond to the pressure of being the underdog. You know, I mean, he made a Super Bowl appearance a few years ago, and I have to wonder, is this his last um, Is this his last Super Bowl appearance? And really, you know, I'm kind of wondering uh, where the end of his career is after this. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I agree with Kevin. I think the line um, needs to be bigger for the Panthers. Um, so I, I, I do think that they're going to pull this out. But, um, I mean, you, you never know what can happen. Um, the Broncos are not uh, – they might be a little underrated going to this game. And with the underdog uh, label, they might, you know, be able to pull one out against the Panthers. Who knows? They might be – Panthers might be overconfident with all this talk about them. I think that's an interesting point to bring up. And I, I think with the Broncos specifically, they don't have any pressure on them. Nobody thought that they would get to the Super Bowl. People thought Peyton Manning's career was done when Brock Osweiler took over late in the season. Uh, but they've you know, been resilient. They've been a resilient franchise. They're led by a phenomenal defensive side uh, coached by Wade Phillips. We'll get into that a little bit more in the podcast. But I don't know. I don't think they have anything to lose. I think Peyton Manning, I don't know that there is pressure on him. He's already had an excellent Hall of Fame career. And if he wins the game, he goes out on top. Nobody thought that they would beat the Patriots. Uh, they did. I think being at home and playing that game in Denver helped out. But I don't know that they're going to win the game, but I think they're going to uh, surprise some people. I wouldn't be surprised to see a close game. But the American Gaming Association predicts that $4.2 billion will be wagered by Americans surrounding Super Bowl 50. That would be an 8% increase over the amount of bets placed last year on the Super Bowl. Interestingly enough, the Gaming Association says that 97% of that $4.2 billion in bets on Super Bowl 50 will be made illegally. That's fascinating. We all know that the Super Bowl is a game that everyone bets on, uh, you know, whether it's the game straight up or who will be MVP, who will have the first touchdown, to even how long will the national anthem go. There are so many different prop bets surrounding the Super Bowl, and I just find it interesting that 
$4.2 billion will be wagered this next weekend. That That's mind-blowing to me. I don't know that it's mind-blowing. I think it's absolutely expected. What's mind-blowing to me is that 97% of that money is being wagered illegally, i.e. we live in a society where we still prohibit things like entertainment gambling on sports industries, which is not the case in many European countries. It's a, it's a weird spot where we're sort of regressive, kind of Bible Beltish. even though the conscience of the country has sort of moved on. We're tied to some of these older laws uh, concerning vice and things like that. And so it's, uh, you know, it's kind of sad because I think there's less regulation, obviously. It's less accepted. You can't speak about it the way you would in a European country if you're making wagers, things like that. Um, you kind of have to deal with it under the table when it's just something people are doing to have fun. And lots of people are doing, obviously, $4.2 billion. That's a lot of people. So it's weird and sad that we still live in a country where that sort of thing has to be at least superficially hidden uh, because it is actually against the law still. When I think about the gambling issue, I have to delineate between this sort of, uh, you know, I guess, typical sports betting that happens among friends, among family, and casino gambling, which is kind of something completely different. I, I, I see the, the arguments against casino gambling in some states being uh, stronger than the idea that we should ban all gambling in any form. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of the government staying out of uh, people's business as it pertains to how they spend their money. Um, and so, you know, I, if, if somebody wants to make a friendly wager among friends, I don't see an issue with that. Um, yeah, I, and I don't especially see gambling laws pertaining to this particular kind of sports betting being real enforceable. So, um, I mean, you're never going to know if I'm betting, um, you know, on a game with a buddy of mine over text message. I mean, this is not something the government's going to get into. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is stupid, but, uh, I don't see the, um, the issue being that big of a deal, um, heading into this game. If you're watching the game just for football, you know, you can bet straight up on the game. Uh, but if you like the other things like television television commercials or uh, halftime performance, there are still ways that you can actually bet. Uh, so actually Bovada, uh, which I'm not sure if, you, if many of our listeners are familiar with, but it's an online sports book uh, that uh, you can bet. And they are known for having, uh, you know, several different prop bets. And I'm just going to read through some of them real quick. You can bet on the coin toss. Of course, it's 50-50 odds on that. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> one of the gambling lines is, will Left Shark make an appearance on stage during the Super Bowl halftime show? Uh, Left Shark was, if you remember last year, Katy Perry, uh, one of her... Uh, I guess backup dancers. Uh, here's another one. Will Ted Ginn Jr. drop a pass? Uh, if I'm a betting person, I say absolutely. Here's another one. How many wings will Buffalo Wild Wings sell on Super Bowl Sunday? Um, they have a cross sports prop bets saying, you know, who, what number will be higher? Total receptions by Greg Olson or total goals by Montreal Canadiens? Interesting. So literally, there are are hundreds of different prop bets, including how many times will dab or dabbing be said by the, the announcers during the broadcast. So if you want to bet, there's something for everybody. What's the over-under on the dabbing mentions? It's actually over is two. two. Oh, God, I'm all over. I'm way over on that. Kevin, I'm going to ask you another one then. Here's one. If Steph Curry is shown on TV during the broadcast, what will he be wearing? A personalized Carolina Steph Curry jersey, a Cam Newton jersey, any other Carolina jersey, or no jersey? That's easy. It's personalized. I've seen him actually shooting uh, drills in his personalized jersey before. He's a big fan. Obviously, they've made him this jersey and given it to him. I think that if he is shown on the broadcast that he probably will be, he'll be wearing the Curry jersey for sure. 
So that's minus 200. That seems to be the odds-on favorite. Now, Jeremy, feel free to jump in on some of these, but how many times will the Golden Gate Bridge be shown during the broadcast? The over and under is set at 0.5. Uh, you know, I'm going to, maybe I'm over on that too. I think that they would pan to it at least, at least twice. Um, I, I'm really hoping for a, a weak Denver defense. So I do win the bet uh, here with Cam doing the Superman motion. Um, yeah, I, I, it's not at all surprising uh, some of the bets that you can make on this stuff. I, I just, uh, <laughs> I just, I can't imagine betting more than a few bucks on any of this stuff. I just, I, I'm just not a big, big better in general, but this is hilarious. Here's the other side of the argument. As, as we're talking about this, my heart rate is up. I'm like sweating and trembling a little bit. I'm just thinking about all these prop bets I can make and how much money I can make, which is, this is exactly why I gave up gambling a number of years ago. I've got a bit of a problem. So we're sort of in murky territory for me, but I get why prop betting is so fun. It's uh, it's, it is an addiction like any other. And, um, and we're right in the middle of my trigger zone, I, I guess, as they refer to it. I'm just going down Bovada's website right now. And to me, it's just absolutely fascinating. Will Peyton Manning be seen crying at any point during the entire broadcast? Will the announcers mention that Kubiak and Elway's was, was Elway's backup during the broadcast? Will Mike Carey be wrong about a challenge? I think that's hilarious. That's an absolute yes. Uh, and then they even have songs. Uh, they even have bets about Coldplay. Like, w- which song will Coldplay play first during the halftime show? I mean, that's that's ridiculous. Uh, will there be an earthquake during the game? Uh, if you want to bet yes, it's plus a thousand. Will the Panthers player who scores their first touchdown give the football to a boy or girl? Uh, that I mean, if you want to bet on something, there's absolutely something to bet on. With that prop bet, what's preventing Chris Martin from having someone go and lay down a bet if he knows what song is coming first? Why doesn't he make several million dollars more off of this appearance? I also just want to say, like uh, these halftime shows are pitiful. I, I don't think they're they're like the lowest common denominator. Who's excited by Coldplay? Are people actually excited by Coldplay? That seems like a retread. Like a, I saw them in 2005 at ACL. They headlined. And I thought they were overrated then. So it's just uh, it's it's not weird to me so much. It's just there's very little excitement it's very much appealing to as broad an audience as you possibly can it's just hard for me to imagine who would get worked up and excited over seeing Coldplay at halftime of the Super Bowl yeah I completely agree maybe it has something to do with the NFL wanting to put a franchise in London who knows all right guys we've touched on the major storyline set into the game and now it's time to focus a little bit on the Carolina Panthers now joining us on the weekly brew is Lawrence Gilligan the sports anchor for WSOC TV in Charlotte North Carolina Lawrence are you ready for the next week in the Bay Area Oh man, I can't wait. You know, I can't believe that uh, that they've made it this far. You know, there, there's a lot of storylines going into the season, perhaps. You know, with uh, Kelvin Benjamin going out, but uh, but hey, you know, this team's been resilient all season long. And uh, one more game, you know, uh, these guys realize that they know that they're not finished. Let's start with the simple facts. What has come into this team going from a fringe playoff contender last season with a seven eight and one record to a dominating club with a 17-1 record, including a 49-15 blowout of the Cardinals last week? I just think, hands down, in all three phases of the game, they're, they're just lights out. You know, they have a lot of veteran leadership uh, on both sides of the ball, obviously on the defensive side of the ball. You've got Thomas uh, Davis, uh, Jared Allen, who was out last week and who should play this week. Uh, and then on the offensive side, you got Ryan Khalil, the captain out of uh, USC, who's been here for, for his, his entire career. You know, and, uh, you know, and it's... it's uh, if you look at it last year, uh, they probably could have been just as good if Cam Newton was healthy. You know, Cam Cam was battling uh, 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 off-season ankle surgery. He had a rib cage issue where he broke a couple of ribs, and then he hurt his back in the car accident. So there's a lot of different variables last season. Uh, uh, and, then, and then the injuries in the backfield with Jonathan Stewart and Mike Tolbert. There's a lot of injuries uh, overall on that team last year that, that kind of, 
obviously, you know, you see seven, eight, and one, you're like, oh, this seems not that good. But well, you know, uh, they they were built for the long haul. But you know, it's so hard to get through through the season without injuries. You know, and obviously, if you have a guy like Cam Newton that that uh, wasn't nearly as sharp, but I mean, the guy wasn't 100 percent healthy at all last year. So and uh, that that showed. And I think this year. You can just see him just the way he is, you know, uh, uh, his swagger on the field, his demeanor, uh, his leadership ability. I think it all boils down uh, uh, to him making plays, but he's also healthy. So it's good to see him bowling guys over, you know, because he's such a big guy uh, when it comes in terms, you know, of of, uh, of stature. So so it's so so for me, I think it's just health. Health's been the big deal, you know. Obviously, you lose Kelvin Benjamin, but their offensive coordinator and, and the way the Panthers' offensive playbook is opened up for, for guys like Ted Ginn Jr. and Philly Brown, guys that aren't really big names but, but are making big plays. You mentioned the word swagger. What is it about this team? I mean, you see so much swag, as you put it, and then you see them so loose on the field during the games. I mean, have you ever seen an NFL team like this? You know, no, not really. You know, that's, that's the thing that strikes me. Uh, obviously, you know, it is 2016, and we are at a different age. You know, we're all... <laughs> We're in an age where social media kind of is, is, is kind of king, you know. And last uh, yesterday afternoon, I actually tweeted out Trey Boston, one of the safeties. He was dancing around, dabbing around the field in the practice field. And I guess they, 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 have, they, they dance on, on Mondays and Fridays on, on, on the uh, practice field. I also posted on, on uh, Twitter Cam Newton dancing a few uh, weeks ago. And it's just... You know they've been like this from day one. That's the thing. You know, uh, from, from here, from from Carol, from from uh, covering Carolina, they've been like this from day one, man. You know, they've uh, they've always been loose. They've been relaxed and they've been confident. And it's just to have those three things. It's just it's just extremely important and vital. You know, uh, down the stretch, and it just goes to show you, man. It is it is a a game. You know, and that's and I think that's the thing that they also make clear is that you know, yeah, they're getting paid a king's ransom, you know, but they're still playing a child's game. So it's just, uh, it's incredible that they do have this swagger. And, you know, there's always been a lot made of the dancing and all this stuff. But, man, I don't know about you, Austin, but, I mean, if I scored a touchdown, I'd be dancing all over the place. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, kind of keeping in line with that idea, I mean, Cam Newton has been described as a polarizing figure, and Steve Smith has talked about race playing a role and all that and so forth. And so we have, you know, a lot of different opinions. But within Charlotte, you know, within the area, how is how does the city feel or react to Cam Newton and that swagger that the team has? Oh, man, they, they love Cam here, you know. And the great thing is that he loves the city back. You know, he's he's always been a guy. He's always, I mean, he's obviously he kind of comes off. He can... He's obviously very confident, but he's also very humble too. You know, which is the, the nice thing. It's kind of refreshing. Um, you know, and I think the city gravitates towards towards that. You know, I mean, the way the culture is here, it is more of a younger type of uh, environment, type of atmosphere. You know, so when you have a quarterback that's leading your team, that's fun to watch, man. I mean, uh, it, it just goes to show a, a lot. And you know, in the city, it's just it's just polarized by Cam and by by the Panthers. Yesterday, they had a pep rally. Uh, in the, in uptown Charlotte, and there was twenty five, thirty thousand people out there. They haven't even won the Super Bowl yet, so it just <laughs> goes to show you. Just goes to show you how much they really care about this team. Heading into the Super Bowl against the Denver Broncos, Denver's have a phenomenal defense. It's kind of a unknown territory, uncharted territory for Cam Newton and the Panthers. How do you see them handling the pressure for this week? You know. That boils down to their personality and their swagger. You know, the the thing about them is that they never let. Um, any game get too big for them. You know, I was kind of worried, obviously, about um, 
about even the game versus Seattle. Yeah, granted they only won by you know not not as big of you know that lead that they had at the half, but I think um, I was kind of worried just to see yeah how they would react um, when you know if if you know Cam turned the ball over or the defense you know let a touchdown go something like that how would they respond you know and this team has always responded you know and that just goes to show you just how much this team has grown, and it's just like, man, it's impressive to watch. I still have to pinch myself and realize, like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. You know, you're just kind of like, I don't know if they did it that good or, or what. But when it's all said and done, you know, it's just – it'll be tough. You know, obviously Von Miller and the Broncos' defensive front, their front seven is incredible. And I think if the Panthers can, can try and run the ball, and I think if they, uh, if they get out to a hot start, it's going to be really hard to slow them down. You know, I think they've done a great job of managing the, the clock and, you know, managing leads this year. Last year wasn't really the same. And there's a couple of games here this year where there's a game versus New Orleans earlier in the year, uh, the Colts, the Packers. You know, the defense had to make interceptions at the very end to, to hold on and win those games, you know. So it just goes to show you that, that, that you know, they when they need the big play, they've been making them. And last year wasn't the case at all. It'd be, it'd be the big play going against them. You know, so it's kind of it's kind of the luck of the draw, and they've been on the, the the more positive side of things, you know. But Denver, I think if they get ahead, if, if they get out in front of Denver, and you have to make Pet, um, Peyton Manning, you know, try to utilize the pocket, and uh, I I, just, I don't know, I think it's going to be a rough day for him, you know. If if they if the Broncos have to go down the field and they have to get away from their actual game plan, so. We just have to wait and see, you know. If the Panthers can get out front, which which they have in a lot of these games, you're like, oh my God, they're already up 21 nothing, and then all of a sudden, you know, they can manage the game. Denver's going to be in trouble. Yeah, Lawrence. Sort of, sort of on that note, um, what can you tell us about uh, Carolina sort of allowing some teams to get back in the game? I know that that's sort of been a trend within this season, even though they've been able to ultimately prevail. You know, I I don't know. I think. I think obviously you see there might be a, a, a series like, you know, here or there where, like, for instance, um, against Arizona last week, uh, it was like in the third quarter or so, they were up pretty pretty big, and Arizona kind of methodically drove down the field. And you're like, okay, all right, here we go, you know. But, you know, it's kind of hard because these guys are out there the entire game, so they got to have a series off. If you're up, if you're up multiple scores, I mean, it's inevitable that the other team, uh, granted it's Carson Palmer, Larry Fitzgerald, and uh, that, that wide receiving core that they had, um, that they were going to eventually score, you know. And it's just kind of, I don't know, you kind of take the series off. I, it's hard to say that, but I think that's kind of what they did. And then the next thing you know, Palmer's in trouble, and he threw, I don't know how many more interceptions, you know. So <laughs> it just goes to show you I think they were smart. And I think, you know, the game prior to Arizona versus Seattle, a lot of people were freaking out that the Seahawks climbed back within, and of course, it was Russell Wilson. But you know, I think uh, I think they had that that game in control, and Arizona kind of proved like, okay, hey, look, all right, we let them score once, but this isn't going to happen again. And you got Keithley with the pick six, and you got you know all these all these guys making plays. So I don't think. I don't think there's anything to worry about on that front. One of the things that I absolutely love about this team is when they score touchdowns, they always find a uh, a small child in the stands and give the ball. I mean, that's just very cool to see the team, you know, just buy in and invest in that community. What would it mean for, you know, North and South Carolina, that greater Charlotte community, for them to actually 
clinch a title and for Ron Rivera, Cam Newton, everyone to, you know, come back as heroes almost. Yeah, this is something that they've been trying to buy in for since since Ron Rivera got here, you know, since this is five years in the making, you know, uh, and uh, obviously they, they wanted to have success, you know, sooner than this year, but, like, you know, you look at last year, they lost to Seattle, and then the year before they lost to uh, San Francisco. Um, I think it's just, it just goes to show you that, the fans are behind this team, you know, and and, and moving here, you kind of think you're like, oh, well, are there really Panther fans? There are, you know, and I guess before before the Panthers uh, were a franchise here, a lot of people were Washington Redskins fans because that was the only that was the closest team. So, so yeah, so it just shows you that a lot of people, at least that I run into, are diehard Panther fans. That's because that's all they know. You know, they've been here 20 plus years now, which I can't believe it's been that long. But. <laughs> Uh, but you know, time's just flying by. But but yeah, you know, I think um, I think by Coach Rivera, you know, I, I think he is such a players' coach, man. That, that's that's part of their persona too, is Coach Rivera, man. He's 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 relaxed. You know, the the head guys relaxed. Why can't you be relaxed? You know. So I think it kind of boils down to that. He's a players' coach. Uh, he he gets it. He he gets the players' confidence. And I mean, come on, he was part of the 1985 Bears. You know, they had the Super Bowl shuffle. You know, if you look back at that team, you know what 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 got what characters were on that team? You they know? were swag so, before it was swag. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thank you. You got McMahon with with the with the with the shades on, you know, and just the long haircut. You're like, what is? Who are these guys? So if you look back at that team, he was part of that team. You know, he obviously he was more quiet than all those other guys, but but still, you know, it just goes to show you that this team's loose. This team hasn't given up on them. And uh, it's just great to see, man. I just, I hope, I, I hope for for the for the owner Jerry Richardson, uh, and and the GM Dave Gettleman that they get this done because you know they've really built a team here that uh, they've really built a culture here that everyone buys in. And if you're not okay with that, like if you're a player and you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know about this, then they get rid of you. So, <laughs> so you know, it's just uh, one of those things. It's it's good to see. You know, you always want to see the good guy kind of come out and win and I know a lot of people will be rooting for Peyton Manning I get it you know like trust me man you know growing up Peyton Manning is one of the guys who are like oh man I respect his play I respect his uh, persona on the field you know just just his sportsmanship alone you know so but the Panthers man they uh I think they've they've earned it thus far you know and I think the, the funny thing is is that they could still win the Super Bowl and I don't think they'll still get any respect so that's <laughs> the that's the downside of it you know but they're because they're not you know the, I don't know the New York Giants of of the world, the Seattle Seahawks. All of a sudden, that they have the the big name, you know, in the NFC. So, so that that'll definitely uh, justify them and give them a little bit more credit, you know, uh, when it's due. Well, we're definitely looking forward to the game, and uh, thank you so much again for joining us on the podcast. And we're also big fans of social media here. So, for our listeners, tell us how they can find you on Twitter, Facebook, and whatever social media platform you want to give out. I, th- I think Twitter's probably the best way to follow me. Uh, obviously, I, I also do have a uh, Facebook page, but I think Twitter's probably the best because I always try to, you know, uh, make it visual for for followers, you know, uh, whether it be video or uh, pictures. You know, I see something random that I'm doing that deals with the Panthers or Hornets or whatever, Charlotte. So Very cool. So, again, we have Lawrence Gilligan, sports anchor reporter for WSOC-TV in Charlotte. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at GilliganWSOC9. Lawrence, thanks for taking the time out and enjoy the Bay Area this week. Hey, thanks, Austin. I appreciate it. 
Thanks again to Lawrence Gilligan for joining us and talking about the uh, Panthers side of the issue. Uh, and actually, we have a guy from uh, the Denver Post. Troy Rank is the uh, NFL Broncos beat writer for the Denver Post, and he's been writing extensively, uh, obviously, about the Broncos leading up here to the Super Bowl. And uh, he's going to talk to us about what exactly is going on with Denver and can they win this game despite the odds here. Troy, welcome into the show. Um, I've got your article from the Denver Post up on my screen here. Odds makers choose Panthers over Broncos in Super Bowl 50. And we'll be sure to tweet out a link to this uh, to our followers as well. But obviously, uh, Panthers are favored in the Super Bowl, but you seem to think that the Broncos still have a good chance to win. What is it that makes you think they might be able to get this done? Well, it starts with their defense. They've had the best defense in the NFL this season. They've played a really tough schedule. They've gone against the top quarterbacks. They've found a way to win ugly. They've found a way to win late. They've won 11 games by 7 points or less this season, an NFL record. So the defense is the reason if they win this game, it'll be because the defense keeps it close and gives the Broncos a chance to win late. Troy, obviously one of the most prominent storylines going into the Super Bowl is the two quarterbacks. One, a young, brash superstar on the rise in Cam Newton. The other, sort of an aging elder statesman figure in Peyton Manning at the tail end of his career. How do you assess this quarterback matchup going into the game, and who's likely to make the difference? Yeah, I mean, it's a jump position. Manning's time is short. He's at the end of his career. It sets up as his last game for the Broncos, possibly the last game of his career where Newton is becoming quickly the face of the NFL. Uh, Nobody has played the position like him. I mean, I'd say Michael Vick, uh, I don't know how many years ago that was, he was on the cusp of becoming that type of player before his legal issues. But Cam Newton is Adrian Peterson when he gets out of the pocket and he throws as well as Luck or Roethlisberger, and that makes him an incredible challenge. But Manning is just doing his job. Six weeks out uh, in his absence being hurt, he came back to a marginalized role that he's accepted. He understands that he doesn't have to win the game for the Broncos, play mistake-free football, which he has in his last two-and-a-half games. And there's going to be a couple shots downfield against their zone he's going to have to hit. You know, if there's three or four plays down the field, he's going to have to make a couple of them. They need a little more offense. They're not going to beat the Panthers with 20 points. And Cam Newton, the key is not blitzing. It's just keeping him in the pocket, make him uncomfortable, make him get rid of the ball a little more quickly than he'd like, not unlike they did to Tom Brady in the AFC Championship. And if they're able to do that, Broncos should win the matchups on the outside defensively against their receivers, but they got to figure out a way to contain Greg Olson, who's been Gronk-like this year. What is it about the Broncos? I mean, they haven't won a title since, you know, the 97-98 when they went back-to-back. Do you see a lot of similarities between this team and the 97-98 and version, you know, especially with John Elway toward the end of his career and Peyton Manning at the end of his career? Well, there's certainly parallels here. I mean, that's why I get asked a lot about Gary Kubiak. How has he been successful when he was viewed as a retread nationally? He was embraced with open arms here because he's a Bronco. He played nine years here as John Elway's backup. He was his roommate. He was the offensive coordinator of Mike Shanahan's teams when they won their back-to-back Super Bowls. So the fans embraced Kubiak. He is viewed as a Bronco through and through. So that was welcome. He also worked with Elway at the end of his career when Elway's role became diminished and he learned to trust Terrell Davis. So in that way, there are parallels. The difference is that team still, the championship teams of Mike Shanahan, were led by the offensive running game. I mean, Terrell Davis, and he put up back-to-back seasons that have, have him in the argument for the Hall of Fame, and frankly, he should be in the Hall of Fame. But that was, the, that was what everything spun off with that team their ability to run the ball whenever they wanted against any team, any situation. This year's team, the difference is the entire personality of the team is built around its defense. 
the Broncos, outside of their Orange Crush team in 1977, their first Super Bowl team, they've never had a team defined as much by a defense as this year. So there are parallels in the storyline with Peyton possibly going out as a champion with Kubiak as his coach, just like Elway did. But there's no real comparison of the teams because that team was run on offense in terms of the running game. This team is defined almost specifically by its defense. Obviously, we talked to Lawrence Gilligan uh, from Charlotte, and the whole city seems to be behind the Carolina Panthers, but the Broncos are also a team that has a very fervent fan base. You always see people with Peyton Manning jerseys or Bronco jerseys in other cities. So I'm curious, what's the mood in the city like surrounding this team, and how much is the city behind this team headed into the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's not a city thing here. It's a regional thing. You have to understand. I mean, the Broncos are the team of Nebraska, Idaho, Montana. I mean, there's so many states around here, Wyoming, South Dakota, that don't have uh, professional football so they're a regional draw in that regard and they are huge they have they have when it comes to car to sports there's the broncos and everyone else i covered the rockies 15 years for major you know major league baseball and outside of the rockies 2007 world series run nobody knocks the broncos off the front page they are the story here year round frankly and so Everyone's behind it. What makes this run different? Remember, they've been to seven Super Bowls, so this isn't unique. What makes this different is they're clearly the underdog. People, if you ask them, and they're being truthful, didn't expect this to be a Super Bowl team. Kubiak's first year, a little bit of a transition. The offense doesn't necessarily fit Peyton Manning. They didn't see this team, if they're being honest with themselves, as a Super Bowl team. And that's a good position to be in because every time they've gone into a Super Bowl favorite, and most recently against the Seattle Seahawks, they've been clobbered. And so there's a uniqueness to this Super Bowl run because it was unexpected and it has a chance when it didn't look like that six weeks ago to be the perfect inning for Peyton Manning. One of the questions that I have for you is if you look at the Panthers this year, they've they've been able to score a lot of points early, but they struggle at closing out games. And the Broncos with Peyton Manning, you know, he's been a good game manager the past few weeks, but it seems like the offense has not quite peaked. And Gary Kubiak, when he was in Houston with the, the Ravens, they focused heavily on the run game. This year, that doesn't seem to be the case with the Broncos. You've got Ronnie Hillman with just under, uh, just over 850 yards on the season. CJ Anderson kind of uh, platooning with him with 720 yards. How do you think the offense stacks up against a solid Panthers defense? Yeah, it's going to be a tough matchup. That's where the issue lies when I look at this game. Because I think the Broncos' defense can counter Cam Newton as great as he's been this year. The problem is, if you're a Broncos fan, can Denver's offense do enough? And they have gotten by barely, barely, several occasions. And against some good defenses. But the challenge against the Panthers is they can't win 20-17, to 17-13. They're going to have to score 24-27 points. And and, you know, the offense hasn't shown that consistently all year. So how can they do it? Well, I would say in fairness to the offense, look at when Manning went down with his injury. From the Bears game off Osweiler, when they put the quarterback under center, the Broncos have averaged right at 125 yards rushing a game since then. Prior to that, it was 86 yards. So they have run the ball pretty well for the better part of two months now. They have confidence on the ground. It can be ugly at times, and that's the issue, is they can go – four or five empty possessions where it'll look like they'll never get another first down ever. And then two or three possessions in a row when they absolutely need it and the fire alarms are blaring, they put together a drive. That's to find their season. So, you know, even as fans of the team, the, the fans watch it and they pull their hair out and it drives them crazy. And yet when they need to do something right, they've been able to do it. And so that's going to be the formula is keep Carolina within reach. You mentioned their great starts. 
keep them from getting out. If they get out 17 nothing, 20 nothing. Denver doesn't have a chance. They're not built to win a game like that. But if they can keep it 13-7, you know, that kind of 17-10, if they can keep them within reach, I like Denver's chances because they have so much experience in that type of game. But the running game, they don't have a bell cow, but I would argue, look at the stats between Hillman and Anderson. Those were the numbers Anderson was supposed to put up by himself. So 1,500 yards from your two backs with, what, 12, 14 touchdowns, that's about what they expected before the season. Well, Troy, we appreciate you so much uh, joining us here on the show. And uh, just in case the listeners are curious about how to find your coverage leading up to the Super Bowl, can you drop your Twitter handle and where to find your work? Yeah, at Troy Rink, T-R-O-Y-R-E-N-C-K, DenverPost.com backslash Broncos. We'll have a million blogs, a million stories. So I really appreciate the time, guys. Hope you enjoy Super Bowl week as much as I will. Take care. Great stuff there for both Lawrence and Troy. I'm glad that we were able to get them both on the podcast. It's it's nice to have perspective from sports reporters and sports anchors that have actually covered the team and know them in depth. And I think that was a great get for the Weekly Brew podcast leading up to the Super Bowl. I know for me, I'm, I'm looking forward to the game next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. And unfortunately, it's, it's going to be the last football that we'll have until August, September when training camp starts up. Uh, but let's go and talk predictions here. Uh, Kevin, who do you think comes out on top? Oh, I already said earlier, I think the Panthers are going to run away with it. I think that six-point line, um, I mean, obviously, it's a big line for a Super Bowl, but I, it's, I think it may not be big enough. I think Carolina is going to build up an early lead in the first half, and I don't think they're going to give it up in the second half. So I would say that if I had to put money on it, and uh, by my own rules, I'm not allowed to, I would put money on Panthers uh, even minus six. Jeremy, what about you? Uh, Golden Gate Bridge twice, <laughs> and I've bet three paychecks on it, so... Uh pray this works out guys now is that is that a prediction for the prop bets or do you have a prediction for the overall school score outcome of the game <laughs> oh oh sorry we're talking about the score yeah um i think carolina uh wins it 24 10 that's what i'm that's my prediction i i think uh, and i think the 10 points for denver come in the uh second half i think for me i think uh the panthers are also going to win but i think it's going to be a little bit closer than some people think i'm going to go with 17 to 14 Carolina. I think that uh, Denver's defense is just too good to let Carolina run away with the game. And I'm not sure that I believe that Carolina has, has it in them to close out the game. They've struggled with that all year. Uh, They did a nice job closing out, uh, you know, their opponent last week in the Arizona Cardinals, but I think that Denver's going to keep it close. I just don't underestimate. I don't think you can underestimate Peyton Manning in his last game, that defense that Denver has, I think it's going to be close, but I think Carolina comes out on top 17-14. Here's one thing to consider as well is uh, the one thing that Denver defense does not do as well as everything else it does, defend the tight ends. And obviously Cam Newton loves Greg Olson. So I think that Greg Olson's going to have a massive game. That's where I see a lot of the scoring coming from, a lot of the yardage. Uh, and I think that's where defense is, uh, Denver's defense is going to fail them ultimately. Regardless, should be a great game. Super Bowl 50 coming at you from San Francisco will take place on Sunday. Uh, We will definitely mention that a little bit in next week's podcast, but it should be fun. And again, thanks to Lawrence and Troy for joining us on the podcast. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Last week on the podcast, Kevin did a remarkable job breaking down the trending items in the NBA during an auxiliary segment. While the NBA season is gearing up for the All-Star break in Toronto, the conference races are beginning to heat up on the college basketball front as March Madness and the Final Four rapidly approach. Now joining us on the Weekly Brew to discuss college basketball and more is ESPN basketball analyst Reed Geddes, who is a member of Five Slamma Jamma and a former NBA player for the Chicago Bulls. Reed, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. How are you doing? 
not too bad. Now, in years past, I think we could have identified a few clear-cut Final Four favorites by this point in the season. This year, I'm not sure that's the case. Have you ever seen a season in which there is this much parody in college hoops? No, you know, in fact, historically, there probably hasn't been. I think the record for the number of times that a number one team, a number one ranked team, has been beaten during a season is seven. And the number one team's already been beaten five times, and we're not even out of January. And so it's been a record season for um, up and down, uh, not just with the number one ranked team. We've had a record number of uh, the top five ranked teams being defeated at this stage in the year. So it's it's a fun and exciting year. What about the Big 12 this season? Five teams are ranked in the top 17 of the AP poll, and Joe Lenardi has seven teams projected in the field for the NCAA tournament. Is this the best league in America at the moment, and is this the year that Bill Self and Kansas are finally dethroned? Yeah, uh, you know, that, there's, there's no question the Big 12 is the best team in the country, um, the, the best conference in the country. You, you know, the problem with that is they've been for the last three years also. Uh, maybe four, and what what the Big 12 desperately needs is for one of these teams to make a deep run, to get past the first weekend. Um, And so while while it's fun for those of us that work in the Big 12 and cover the league and and, and see the teams, you know, on a a weekly basis, the reality is the, the conference has not been very good in the NCAA tournament lately. Now, this is a great year for that to change because they have legitimately they have five teams that uh, maybe four teams that really wouldn't surprise you much if they made a deep you know run to the elite eight or even the final four and so you know is this the year that kansas gets the throne um maybe uh <laughs> I, I stopped I, you know i've stopped saying that because for the last decade Everyone wants to find the team that can knock them off. And now here we are going on the 12th straight one. With the loss last night at Iowa State, um, you know, they're sitting there at 5-3. and three, um, But it's still not going to surprise me if they don't end up winning this thing. But, but I tell you what, o- o- OU looks really, really good right now. Oklahoma probably has one of the best players in the country right now, and Buddy Heald, who is a six-four guard. How important is he to the program in making them click? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's really important. He's like the third or, third or fourth leading scorer in the country. Um, he's an amazing kid. He, he showed up, and I remember covering he, he and Isaiah Cousins when they were freshmen, and he's completely transformed himself. He, he used to be just kind of an athletic six-four wing player, uh, was not a very good shooter, um, and he has turned himself into one of the elite shooters in the game. He, he's um, remarkable in transition, his ability to pull up from three. But that whole team, guys, you know, it's easy to focus on Buddy because his numbers have been so impressive. Um, but I, there's an interesting article out uh, this week where somebody compares, kind of calls them the, the college version of Golden State Warriors. And I think that's pretty accurate. Um, they've got a team full of shooters. And I don't know why more teams don't build that way, and maybe they try. Um, but everybody on that team can shoot. Jordan Woodard the other night against Baylor had, or Saturday afternoon, had 20 points in the first half and hit six threes. And Isaiah Cousins is playing. And Ryan Spangler can pick and pop from the, you know, as a, as a traditional stretch four. 
Um, that's a really, really good basketball team. And then Lon Kruger's got two kids coming off the bench, you know, that can play for anybody in the country. So um, OU has been really fun, uh, a fun team to watch this year. But they've been fun to watch because you could kind of see this building. And last year when Buddy decided, uh, you know, come back for another year, um, it's, it's been really special. So, Reed, with uh, the Final Four returning to Houston this year, I'm curious. sounds like maybe you're high on Oklahoma, but who are some other teams we're likely to see make it to that Final Four round and play uh, for a championship here in Houston? That's a really tough question um, because just out of the Big 12, you know, you, wouldn't surprise me at all to see Oklahoma or Kansas or Iowa State or, you know, Baylor may have been one of the biggest, maybe one of the biggest surprises up to this point. Um, you know, it, it – it, Maybe a more interesting than than who you would look into a crystal ball and project as a Final Four is, uh, you know, teams like Michigan State who who need to turn it around, Duke um, who need to turn it around. Um, but there's some really good teams out there. Um, you know, North Carolina is still really really good. Um, uh, you know, Louisville's better than people think. Uh, Villanova's playing well. So there, there are a lot of teams, and, and that, that's what's going to make this year fun is that it's not just, you know, watching Kentucky roll over people. Um, it, it is it is absolutely wide open this year. Obviously, you know, Houston, you've, you've mentioned to me before that's just kind of a, a rich history of college basketball, and you're part of that history with Faisal Jam. And I remember we spoke at the uh, tip-off event about Guy Lewis, and uh, I'm just curious, you know, being a part of, of college basketball history in Houston, I mean, how, how rich is that tradition, and uh, what are some memories you have of Guy Lewis in that era of basketball? Perhaps we got spoiled or, or didn't fully appreciate um, what Coach Lewis did out at U of H. Um, but he won 592 games. He went to five Final Fours. Um, he coached two of the 50 greatest of all time, and only only Dean Smith did that at North Carolina. Um, he integrated basketball in the South um, at the same time that Don Haskins was doing it at Texas Westland, now UTEP. Um, he had the idea of putting a college basketball game inside a dome stadium. Uh, he had the idea that if you if it was a big enough game that you could put it on national TV during prime time and people would watch. Um, he um, he impacted the game from just about every angle you think of impacting. He he won games with um, slow teams. He won teams with all white. He won games with all white teams. He won games with all black teams. He won with athletes. He won without athletes. He won playing slow, you know, motion basketball, and, and he won a lot of games playing at uh, breakneck speed. Um, so he, he was he was truly a, a coach and a man who who was a visionary. He he was ahead of his time. And um, for those of us close to the program and that were blessed enough to be a part of the program, it was uh, it was sure nice to see him. Um, his contributions acknowledged and his induction into the Hall of Fame before he passed away. And so that was a long overdue, uh, long overdue honor. Uh, Reed, let me ask you, how does, um, how does the Final Four being Houston continue the legacy of Houston, the city? I, I, I can't help but think how deserving Houston is of having the Final Four again. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I was on the, um, I, I am on the local organizing committee, and I, and I was um, back in 2011, 
but we went, uh, I was part of a small group of, I don't know how many of us there were, that went to the NCAA's offices back in 2010 to make a presentation um, and present our bid to host this one, to host 2016. So we were there making a presentation the year before we hosted uh, the 2011. Um, and so it, 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 it was very unusual. Um, we went, we were optimistic because we knew it was a really good bid. Um, but again, the reality is uh, we weren't, um, we, weren't uh, we, we were somewhat pessimistic that the NCAA would grant it to the city you know, before we proved we could do it. Um, and so that's a compliment to the city. It's a compliment, not only a nod to our historical significance in college basketball, but more importantly, the city's ability to host events like this. And, and Houston's a great city for these kind of events. You know, we've hosted Super Bowls and uh, All-Star Games and, uh, and, and now the Final Four. And, and one of the things that, that inures to our city's benefit the most on, on events like this is the rodeo. Very few cities could ever put on something the size of the Houston rodeo. Uh, and the fact that we do it every single year, you know, speaks to not only the volunteerism uh, in the city of Houston, uh, but the city's capabilities of, of absorbing an enormous crowd um, seamlessly um, and all the travel. And, and um, I'm really, I'm really, really proud. I'm a native Houstonian, uh, born and raised, went to a Memorial High School and two degrees from the University of Houston. So you, you can't be more native Houstonian than me. Um, and and this event makes me very, very proud of the city and proud to be a part of it. Well, I'm curious about your perspective on the landscape of college basketball and sort of the state of the union, if you will, because obviously you have kids beginning to now go overseas instead of uh, playing college basketball or doing the one and done thing. So do you think that the sport as a whole has suffered recently or, or um, is it stronger than I guess some people are, are thinking that it is? I think it's real strong. Um, you know, to several things. Number one, that there, there were about 25 rule changes this year, and they seem to have worked. They've uh, taken some of the um, physicality out of the game, some of the some of the physical play that needed to be removed. It's it has sped up the game. It's increased the flow and the rhythm of the game. Um, it's increased scoring, increased possessions, um, and so the rule change has been very very good. Um, a lot of people were skeptical. I was skeptical. Uh, not, not uh, maybe cynical is a better choice of words because um, <laughs> not, uh, not that the rules weren't needed, just that they wouldn't be enforced. And so it's starting to slip a little bit. You watch games, and I watched a game last night where, man, they were banging inside the post. Um, but but the, the state of the game is really healthy. And, and, and people talk about, um, you know, kids leaving high school and, you think about Brandon Jennings, and there was a kid mm. named Tyler. I can't remember his name. Who, who, um, because of risk, because you know, to be honest with you, no, no one's going to say it, but it's academics. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Muday kid um, that that signed at SMU and went to China and is now in the league. You know, people say, oh, more and more kids are going to do that. Well, I got news for you: more and more kids are not going to do that. <laughs> that is a very, very tough, difficult life for a full-grown man. You know, men, men, young men get out of college and, and, and they go overseas. 
and because of the isolation and the loneliness and the, the um, uh, lack of fellowship and interaction with other people, that's a really, really tough life. And it's tough when you take your wife and a kid um, and you have your own support system. But you start talk, talking about taking, you know, the 18-year-old kids in Houston aren't mature enough to go to, to, go to College Station, much less Shanghai. <laughs> Uh, or, you know, Bangkok or, or Florence or, you know, wherever they're going. And so that's not a trend. That That, that is always going to be an outlier. It's always going to be the exception because that's a very, very difficult route to take. And so uh, I I think, um, uh, you know, I've been following college basketball really close for about 30 years. Um, and I think it's as healthy as it's ever been. Reed, speaking of the city of Houston, you're quite the busy person. You're a lawyer for ExxonMobil, one of the largest corporations in the world, a color analyst for ESPN, a father, and a former coach. How do you balance it all? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, some days not as well as others. Um, uh, I, I, um, I love working for ExxonMobil. Um, I love being in their litigation department. Um, we, we have a... Uh, it is a company uh, of integrity and character, and and the company always um, makes decisions and, and does things the right way. And when there are accidents and something goes wrong, uh, we do the best we can uh, to make people whole um, or, or to correct mistakes that were made. But but it's a company with tremendous um, corporate integrity and character, um, and I like being a part of that. Um, the company's been very, very good. Our general counsel, Jack Belasia, and then the um, assistant general counsel, Joanne Lee, have been very kind to allow me to keep doing the broadcasting with ESPN. Um, it's changed over the years. I used to do a, a, a lot more games than I'm doing now. Um, I've quit doing games during the week um, because, quite honestly, you know, to go do a Wednesday night game in Ames, Iowa, means I leave on Tuesday, do a game on Wednesday, and get home on Thursday. Um, and I just can't do that anymore with uh, uh, responsibilities that I have at the, at the office. So I've backed off a lot, and I'm doing just weekend games, um, and that works out great because it doesn't interfere with, um, uh, with work. Um, and then uh, my wife and I, for the, um, this year, have become empty nesters. <laughs> uh, so I have a son that lives in New York. I have a son that's going to U of H, and our uh, my daughter's a freshman at Baylor. Um, and that's made it more fun, too, because now uh, a lot of trips, my wife's been going with me. And so when we do games at – when I do games in Austin or Baylor or Fort Worth, uh, I had one in SMU. Uh, I'm going to go out to Charlotte a couple times this year, and she's going to go. So um, it all just kind of works. Um, but I've got a very um, – uh, flexible um, boss uh, and a very tolerant wife. <laughs> it's absolutely fascinating to watch week in and week out. I know that when college football season is over, the U.S. turns its focus to the hardwood. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the Final Four come here to Houston. And selfishly, I'm hoping for Baylor to make a nice run in the NCAA tournament this year. But, Reed, we definitely appreciate your time and for you coming on the podcast today. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. You bet, guys. Thanks for having me on. Closing time. Guys, that was an amazing episode. I definitely, again, thank Troy and Lawrence for joining us to talk about the Super Bowl. Also, it was fascinating to hear from Reed Geddes and, you know, just the insights that he has covering college basketball from a week-to-week basis. And also the fact that he does that while being a lawyer for Exxon. So thank you, Reed, for joining us. 
what what did you guys think about this episode? Well, I have to say, obviously, um, covering U of H basketball as much as I do, uh, Reed Geddes deeply involved in the history of U of H, and so it's always nice to hear from uh, somebody who you know I've read about and, and learned about, kind of growing up as a sports writer at the Daily Cougar and so forth and so on. And he's a, a great guy. I've met him. Obviously, he's fun to uh, be around and to talk to. So thanks again to Reed for joining us. And then um, you know, obviously, some different opinions on who's going to win the Super Bowl from the two uh, uh, reporters covering each of the teams there. But uh, to me, it's pretty clear. But yeah, all in all, a terrific episode. And I enjoyed all of our guests and uh, also enjoy all of you who listen. It's a pleasure to have you in here. I uh, had a great time recording this episode. Certainly, um, I love getting the perspectives of two hometown reporters uh, for each team. Uh, it is going to be a really interesting game to watch. Of course, I'm more interested in the scenery that the camera pans to on commercial breaks, but that's just <laughs> me. So had a great had a great time recording. I think it's going to be a fun episode, and we hope you all enjoy it. And uh, we hope that you go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you like and what you don't like. And uh, speaking of iTunes, uh, Kevin, tell us about iTunes this week. What happened? I will do. First of all, about iTunes. It's just the best place to find our stuff because you can subscribe to our podcast, The Weekly Brew, on iTunes. And our episodes get pushed into your feed automatically every week. So... If you have stumbled across us, I know we have a lot of people from Reddit, welcome, uh, or SoundCloud listeners that have come in. Any way that you come in, we'd love to have you subscribe on iTunes and sort of centrally get you guys there. Uh, and then we can share our stuff as well. Obviously, we are trying to grow. But uh, one way that we are trying to grow and that helps us grow is if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We've had a bunch. This is our 25th, I think, um, and 22 with comments. So uh, good work, guys. I am having a terrific week because of it. I've been glowing all week since the review came in. So this is from Doobie2007. Top notch with an exclamation mark and five stars. Thank you, Doobie2007. Great work, guys. Just joined the party this week. Welcome in, Doobie. As I made my way across the country for another pleasant vacation in lovely Oklahoma, said no one ever. Uh, that's a very witty remark. Thank you for that humor there. Uh, thanks for keeping me awake and sane on a 30-hour drive. Excellent podcast with intriguing thoughts and opinions about some great topics. Looking forward to adding this to my normal commute when I get back to civilization. Signed, Doobie. A lot of great stuff there. Obviously, um, we have a lot of listeners join us. Uh, there's new listeners every week, and a lot of them go back and listen to the older content. I totally encourage you to do that. We have some great interviews in our uh, archives and um, a lot of evergreen content there to enjoy. So if you are joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. We'd love to have you leave a five-star review and we will give you a shout out and uh, be sure to go back and listen to some of the older episodes. And if you're listening from elsewhere, please join us on iTunes. That's where we'd love to have you the most, I think. Thank you, Doobie, for the uh, kind words and review there. We definitely appreciate it. Also, in addition to iTunes, we want to remind you that you can follow us on our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can search Weekly Brewcast. You can also find us online at weeklybrewcast.com. But guys, episode 28, a lot of fun. We had some great guests on today. Thanks again to Lawrence Gilligan, Troy Rink, and of course, Reed Geddes for joining us on the podcast. But as always, it's been a great time. I hope you enjoy the Super Bowl this week. For my co-host, Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxton, I'm Austin Statton. We'll see you next week. And brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 